focus on your strengths. Assess what you're good at and what you're bad at early, early in life and early in the process of starting something, anything new, a new project, a new position, a new career, a new relationship, anything. Find your strengths relevant to that experience. You can always outsource your weaknesses. average CEO reads 60 books per year, and many attribute their success to this habit of constant learning. This is the difference between those who actualize and those who fail. This automization of their learning, this 1% better every day. On the MentorBox podcast, we're making it easy for you to build and maintain that same habit, the same type of constant lifelong learning as those CEOs, simply by listening to this podcast. Make sure to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen and tune in for new episodes every Monday, Wednesday, and every Friday. And if you want to dig deeper into what our incredible guests teach, make sure to go to mentorbox.com and become a member today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a brand new podcast series brought to you by MentorBox. Welcome to Wisdom Warfare. Pew, 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 explosion noises, Wisdom Warfare. I know, a couple of words that seem rather antithetical to many these days, wisdom and warfare. So as a way of introducing this series, I'd like to start off with a bit about MentorBox's mission. You all know that we at MentorBox find the greatest advocates of the happy and healthy human condition. Great innovators, business leaders, researchers, psychologists, public figures, influencers, and authors of number one best-selling books. We bring you the greats and their great ideas and discoveries, and our goal is to inspire and help you to do and achieve similarly by distilling their experiences and knowledge into actionable takeaways. Now... We've worked with hundreds of authors and experts. I'm going to do what Jonathan loves to encourage in his podcasts and get serious for a second. These people don't always agree. It's true. While there are axioms and principles that are broad enough to have ubiquitous universal benefit, you know, practice good health, pursue education, capitalize on failure, those sorts of things, the most successful among us have reached that highest rung of the ladder in a litany of ways. Many truly started from the bottom, growing their empires from scratch. Others came into great responsibility and power just by circumstance and really knocked it out of the park. Not to mention the different industries and institutions these people work in and the variation of success metrics that all creates. So naturally, there are going to be some semantic, moral, and even philosophical disagreements among those greats. Hell, a super obvious example of wavemakers disagreeing hits the news every damn day. Look at the state of American politics. Yeah, I know, Tyler, don't talk about politics on the first date. Well, if you aren't willing to address the reality TV apocalypse state of affairs that we live in right now, then you shouldn't have swiped right on this podcast in the first place. 
I digress. No matter your place on the political spectrum, it's important to recognize that perspectives on value systems such as morality, equality, and success differ greatly depending on your personal viewpoint and identity. While politicians are particularly scrutinized of late, Americans often have no problem at all deciding who they valorize and worship, as well as they just viciously hate based on a singular statement made by that politician or celebrity or otherwise important person. Artists endure a similar schism of public perception. How often do you hear somebody talk about haters? Just about every musician, actor, author, you name it, past a certain point of renown, will encounter vicious detractors. Not only does this reflect division among what civilians respect as success or venerable achievement, but it demonstrates that not all art, that not all creative visions and ideas are in perfect ideological unison. Those who rise to prominence are not of one unified mind. In many cases, they even have varying ideas about how to achieve greatness, different opinions on what key traits one must possess or what actions to take or resources to develop in order to reach that place among the stars. And that is what wisdom warfare is all about. I'm going to work backward, choosing from the pool of those who have achieved a certain level of renown and recognition and put them into a 1v1 wisdom deathmatch. Okay, while it won't be that grave, I will take canonized tidbits of advice that don't seem to match up perfectly and see what we can suss out and learn from that tension. In this series, I seek out contradictory quotes from the greats and I throw them into the intellectual octagon. I'll dig into why each said what they said and how that applies to their success and hopefully mine and yours. It's unlikely I'll end up taking a hardline position and declaring the Dalai Lama or any such great thinkers with significantly more life experience than I flat out wrong or anything like that. Rather, I will reframe any absolutist idea of a path to success into a more nuanced, historical, and hopefully personal philosophy. And while I won't categorically oppose any of what I quote, I will give their speakers plenty of shit. A local billionaire celebrity from my Massachusetts home county once advised me and a group of my young, hopeful college newspaper editors that the ultimate key to success was, wait for it, you just have to give a shit. Now, not only was this boldly equivocal, but this man had also inherited his father's retail empire when it was worth tens, if not already hundreds of millions. So yeah, I'm going to give a shit. I'm going to give you shit, unnamed celebrity who used to run goofy commercials starring his goofy family. And I'm going to give everyone else shit who I observe has allowed the pedestal of success to detach them from understanding what it's like to be unsure of what your grandiose efforts will yield, to be unsure of what the next day holds, to be unsure of what it's like to coast and really sit at the top. In today's episode, I'm taking quotes from two goats. That's G-O-A-T, greatest of all time goats. First, from Michael Jordan. He once said, my attitude is that if you push me towards something that you think is a weakness, then I will turn that perceived weakness into a strength. From Marilyn Savant, success is achieved by developing our strengths, not by eliminating our weaknesses. Now, I've intentionally given just the names of these two because I'm willing to bet you've heard of Michael Jordan. 
I'm also willing to bet you haven't heard of Marilyn Vos Savant. The former is one of those who needs no introduction, if you will. But fuck it, I'm a ball player, and MJ is one of the most prolific players of modern American culture, so he's going to get an intro anyway. Arguably the greatest athlete of all time. By most accounts, at least the best basketball player. No, I won't step into the LeBron debate right now, but Kobe fans, please sit down. Jordan was the first athlete to become a billionaire, largely in thanks to his wildly popular Air Jordan shoe brand, which still thrives very much today, including On My Own Feet right now. He now owns the Charlotte Bobcats of the NBA and is even the subject of one of the most recycled memes in sports, nay, maybe all of meme history. Crying Jordan, anyone? You know the one. Every time your hometown sports squad wins a big match, your friends who are a little too into the team inevitably post pictures on social media of the opposing coach or, you know, all-star player with Michael Jordan's ugly crying face crudely photoshopped on top of that player. The number of accolades, records, awards, achievements, recognitions, etc. for Michael Jordan go on and on and on and on. To list them would take a trillion podcasts. So for now, let's move on to Air Jordan's opponent. Marilyn Vos Savant is, again, wait for it, perhaps the smartest person alive. Yeah, seriously, at just 10 years old, she was given an IQ test that gave her a score of 228. That's one of the highest IQ scores ever recorded. Now, there are some detractors who debate the validity of the score, of course, but hopefully the following achievements will render those voices irrelevant. For decades now, Vos Savant has written a column for Parade called Ask Marilyn, in which she solves ridiculously hard math and logic problems. The most famous of these was her successful solution to the Monty Hall problem. This is a logic and probability problem that you may have been given on a fun pop quiz by your quirky ninth grade math teacher, Mr. Wesolowski. It proposes the following. You are on a game show in which your goal is to guess which of three closed doors conceals a car. If you guess correctly, you will win the car. The other two conceal goats or something less desirable than a car. Personally, I'd prefer a goat because I live in a city with chaotic streets and oh my god, goats are so cute. But one car, Lambo, two goats, randomly placed behind three doors. You pick a door and the game show host responds by opening one of the two that you did not pick to reveal an adorable goat. Now, here's where it gets tricky. You are given the opportunity to switch your door that you originally chose. Do you switch or do you stay? The intuitive answer that hundreds of mathematicians, even PhDs have fallen back on, is that switching will have no impact on the result. With two doors, one goat, one Lambo remaining, the odds can only be 50-50, right? Wrong. As pointed out by Vos Savant, given that the host must reveal a goat behind one of the other two doors, you actually have two-thirds chance of winning the car if you switch to that other remaining door, only one-third if you stay. Think about it. Your one-third chance of winning remains from the initial selection because you chose one out of three options. However, because the host has revealed a goat among the other two, the second door now represents the probability that either door you didn't choose has the car, which is one-third times two, or two-thirds. Now, some mathematicians have pointed out that the exact language of the question potentially alters which question is being asked, 
and therefore which answer is correct. But what matters is that Vos Savant got that essential question of whether switching is beneficial. And that the host ends up with a goat no matter what, I want his job. Regardless, if you're confused or simply want more on this question and its history because there's a whole lot of conversation around it and fun to be had, be sure to check out the Wikipedia page. It's called the Monty Hall Problem. Marilyn correctly solved this problem and many, many others before literally any question could be Googled and answered immediately, well before the internet in most cases. She's also written a number of books, been named a Toastmasters International Outstanding Speaker, and even appeared on Late Night with David Letterman. Check out that extremely awkward interview. She was quite hilarious, despite Letterman preventing her from getting a word in edgewise. It was very clear that he didn't want to seem less smart. Marilyn has been recognized by the White House, given honorary doctorate degrees, and even received an award from the National Museum of Women's History. So the aptly named savant is an incredibly successful person, to say the least. Among a certain crowd, probably high-level mathematicians, logicians, word problem enthusiasts, and parade subscribers, I'm sure she's very, very popular. She rose to grand fame when she was listed in the Guinness Book of Records for her high IQ, even being named a Guinness Hall of Famer. She is brilliant beyond most of our abilities to comprehend, and despite the fact that she could probably take over the world supervillain style, she has used this power exclusively for good. In addition to providing advice and entertainment via parade, she also worked as an executive at Jarvik Heart, Inc., her husband's company that makes artificial human hearts. Yeah, artificial human hearts, right? That's badass. However, Savant is not the face of a viral meme. She didn't co-star in any movies with Bugs Bunny, and I highly doubt she can windmill dunk over a seven-footer. Jordan, who is, did, and can, is in the more visibly celebrated NBA Hall of Fame. Not bad for episode one, by the way, right? Hall of Famer versus Hall of Famer. Jordan's successes are clearly more marketable, more flashy and appealing, more pop culture. He inspired a generation of underprivileged kids to see athletics as a space for deep practice and personal dedication. Savant's career was not so visible to young people, though I'm sure it would have and has yet inspired many had it been given ESPN-like coverage. A popular story about Jordan's early life is that he actually failed to make his varsity basketball team when he was a high school sophomore. This doesn't seem totally outrageous given that he was also under six feet at the time, but if he was as great as he'd eventually become at that early point, it's safe to say he would have had a starting spot on that team probably even as a freshman. It wouldn't be fair to say Jordan sucked at basketball at this ripe teenage, as he was still the star of his JV team, but it was undoubtedly a relative weakness. Though he was always a super strong athlete, his prominent strength at the time was as a pitcher on the baseball team. So when MJ was told he wasn't good enough, that he was weak, he became strong. He trained his ass off, gaining muscle and skills. Fortuitously, he gained a lot of height as well, ended up at six and a half feet tall, and he proved that he deserved a spot on the varsity roster for the two subsequent years. The rest is epic history. Savant was so confident in her strength, her intellect, of course, that she capitalized on it in the most efficient way possible. In her teens, she worked at a general store while maintaining a lucrative secret identity writing under a pseudonym for local newspapers. 
She moved on to college to pursue writing, but quickly realized that formal schooling at Washington University in St. Louis was only slowing her down. She pulled a Zuckerberg and dropped out to do her own thing. To be able to write full-time, she figured she'd need money to hold her up. So she just took up investing. Get this, it took her investments just five years for Savant to reach financial self-sufficiency, at which point she found fast success as a writer, primarily of opinion pieces in newspapers and magazines. It wasn't until she was nearly 40 that her intelligence was revealed to the world via Guinness. Shortly after, she began speaking in a talk show tour and then picked up the regular column in Parade. Again, there are stark differences between MJ and M. Boss S., but that doesn't mean we can't observe in each of them helpful frameworks for self-development. They each seem to have followed their own mantras to a T. Jordan turned perceived weakness into strength through deep practice. And Savant doubled down on her intelligence by refuting the convention of formal schooling and carving her own intellectual path to success. Now, to extract as much actionable value from these anecdotes as we can, I'm proposing a bit of a perspective shift on some of the terminology we're using here. First, we should think of strengths and weaknesses not as a list of skills represented on some arbitrary spectrum of bad to good. Rather, our skills exist in a more hierarchical, three-dimensional space, where we have tasks, talents, and meta-skills that each depend on sub-skills within them. For instance, Jordan's primary talent of athleticism actually allowed him to play both basketball and infamously semi-pro baseball. But of course, it was basketball that he focused on primarily and that ultimately made his magical career. Within that talent for basketball is an endless set of skills, dribbling, passing, shooting, and stamina, just to name the fundamentals. He had his strengths and weaknesses within those sub-skills and even in sub-sub-skills. For instance, he struggled to shoot three-pointers in his early years but was ubiquitously considered the most creative and high-flying player on the court. Now, intellect, on the other hand, is hard to quantify, qualify, or even appropriately define, which Guinness actually acknowledged by retiring the high IQ category after Savant's three-year sweep of that title. Nonetheless, under her umbrella of evident smarts, Savant is clearly skilled at numerical reasoning and logic, and presumably statistical analysis as well. She also possesses enough of a mastery over the written word to have been signed for several books under a major publisher and to hold down a single magazine column for decades. In terms of weaknesses, it's hard to say what savants were, as her life is significantly less public than Jordan's, and after all, she focuses on her strengths, right? So, when you think about your journey to the peak of achievement, start with a bit of self-reflection. What in the broadest possible terms are your skills? Start off with some hard medicine. You're not as good as his heirness, Michael Jordan, and you're not as smart as Marilyn Vosavant, whose name already doubles as a badass nickname. If any people were born with some sort of innate gifts or talents that really gave them a step up, these two must be in that group. However, I implore you to prove me wrong on that point. Work harder than Jordan and take risks that refute tradition greater than those taken by Savant. At the end of the day, you may not be six foot six with unmatched jumping ability, and your IQ probably isn't higher than any other human in recorded history, but nothing is stopping you from knowing yourself, 
like Jordan and Savant knew themselves. You can know and trust your ability to bounce back from rejection. You can know and trust your ability to apply knowledge in places and at times that seem abnormal and risky. And you can know all this by deliberately taking stock of your strengths and weaknesses, deciding where you struggle and where you prosper, and then breaking down those characteristics into their most tangible sub-skills. Do you consider yourself highly intelligent? Great, but that's probably not enough. Determine how you want to apply your intelligence and sharpen your saw to that specific end. What are the sub-skills you need to be happy, healthy, and wealthy? Want to be an entrepreneur and innovator? Teach yourself to be keenly observant of society, capable with new technology and resourceful enough to lead others well. Maybe some of these are your key overarching strengths, leadership and resourcefulness. Then ask yourself how good you are at conflict management, recruiting, accepting and implementing feedback, etc. All things that exist under those two umbrellas. The point is to adhere neither to Jordan nor Savant's advice absolutely, but to better understand your own abilities and to identify how they fit into the matrix of what you want to achieve. Annie Duke, former champion poker player, friend of MentorBox, and author of Thinking and Bets, is an advocate for ranking yourself numerically on your abilities, even if they're abstract. I've already established how this is difficult, but give it a shot. Are you creative? On a scale of 1 to 10, just how creative? Are you resilient or analytical? Again, 1 to 10, and be really honest with yourself here. Then what about those more tangible tasks that have metrics you can actually track or reference points to help you self-assess? Ask friends, colleagues, acquaintances. Be careful with family because they love you no matter what or whatever. Ask them how good you are at directing others or showing empathy or simply listening. Think about your performance at work. Are you in sales or marketing? How successful was your last quarter or year? For other tasks, how do you stack up to colleagues? In terms of the pace at which you produce work, the accuracy of the reports or data you create or collect, or the adoption of your creative ideas by colleagues and customers. How are you doing? Now, of course, I'm not going to leave you without a big conclusion here. I'm wondering if you caught my foreshadowing early on. At this moment in time, Michael Jordan is not unanimously considered the best basketball player ever. In fact, at this moment of recording, LeBron James, MJ's sole competitor for that title, is doing everything in his power to craft one of the best LA Lakers teams of all time that will help him win some more championships against the wild dynasty that is the Golden State Warriors. The fact that there is even a debate around the GOAT of basketball is significant here because, in my opinion, Michael Jordan had the opportunity to be the best. That's right, unequivocally, undeniably, and permanently the best of all time, no ifs and or buts about it. No LeBron, no chance. But Jordan had some serious weaknesses that cut directly into his career and caused him to quote-unquote retire three separate times. The first time, he went on to play minor league baseball. At this point, Baseball was no longer his true strength, and of course this endeavor fizzled out after one mediocre season. Interestingly enough, it's also speculated that Jordan may have received a secret suspension that year due to a gambling problem that got a bit out of hand. Now, rumor or not, MJ spent a needless year away from the sport, before and after which he won championships. Then, he left the NBA for equally weak reasons when he was 34, 
an age most superstars surpass with ease in the NBA. In fact, LeBron is about to do that in just a year or two. MJ subsequently became a manager for another team, the Washington Wizards, before returning to play for that team for two above-average seasons. All in all, Air Jordan missed about five seasons that very well could have extended his pedigree much further. In his career as a coach, and now as owner of a different team, the Charlotte Hornets, it's widely agreed that he is, well, weak. Neither team made much of a dent under his tutelage, and he's even responsible for some huge draft busts. Marilyn Vos-Savant is currently 71 years old and has yet to retire from any of her major roles. She, to this day, contributes to Parade in her Ask Marilyn column. She often responds to highly eclectic questions whose answers somehow still can't easily be found through conventional research and internet browsing ostensibly employing her massive intellect to find a way to do that research herself. She answers questions on climate change semi-regularly and has espoused an interesting theory that we should seek to harness the energy brought on by global warming while simultaneously working to allay its dangerous effects. Technological adaptation, she calls it. And she also adds a bit of humor to the publication with columns like my favorite, Do Skunks Spray Each Other? question mark? She also still serves as an executive at Jarvik, contributing to a company that literally replaces malfunctioning human hearts. She essentially saves lives in that role. So even though I absolutely love basketball and MJ's highlights and especially his shoe line, I gotta go with Marilyn on this one. Focus on your strengths. Assess what you're good at and what you're bad at early, early in life and early in the process of starting something, anything new, a new project, a new position, a new career, a new relationship, anything. Find your strengths relevant to that experience. You can always outsource your weaknesses. Hell, after Marilyn forwent higher education, she ended up marrying someone who took advantage of school and with whom she could partner for a hugely benevolent cause. Even Jordan did something similar in one epic case. He passed the ball to a better shooter than he, Steve Kerr, who ended up hitting the championship-winning shot as time expired in the 1997 finals, one of that team's six championships with Jordan. So understand your weaknesses and even work on them so they don't hinder you. But ultimately, understand that your strengths will lead you to becoming the best version of yourself over a long period of time. Case in point, right now, Michael Jordan is a mediocre NBA team owner in the face of an unflattering meme. Marilyn Vos-Savant is saving lives and pursuing her passion of writing every single day. Thanks a lot for listening to this inaugural Wisdom Warfare podcast. Tune in next week where I pit two of the greatest business minds of all time against each other. Cheers. Thank you so much for listening to the MentorBox podcast. If you want to learn more about what our authors as well as all of our authors teach, make sure to sign up at MentorBox.com. And if you like the MentorBox podcast, please leave us a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts, as that helps us get discovered by more people who will enjoy and be helped by what we do over here at MentorBox. Also, if you think of anyone who would enjoy or be helped by what we do here at MentorBox, be sure to let them know. 
We do what we do at MentorBox to try to make the world a better place through the incredible education our authors bring. And we can only do that through your help. So please help us spread the word. Again, thanks for listening. And we'll see you in the next MentorBox podcast.